Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Live and direct from the City of Angels, where we are five hours away from the first ever Game 7 in the history of Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine. Huh? Who knew? We all know now, right? What a night last night. What a game last night. Hopefully you had a happy Halloween. Nothing more overrated than I had, I got the most candy, right? I mean, because, you know, it's a pretty cool thing. I have, so I have a daughter who's actually uh, petrified of puke, of barf. I mean, she has like a legit phobia of, uh, of barf. And uh, because... They know people, and they have gotten queasy before over too much candy. She had exactly two pieces of candy. Now, she'd all line it up in rows. It was beautifully organized, but she had only two pieces of candy. Uh, my little dude, kind of same thing, two, three pieces of candy. He knows it's bad for his teeth. 
and uh, he thinks that you eat too much. My kid, we have our kids convinced, convinced that uh, you can get sick from eating too much candy. So much so that uh, her, my daughter's twin sister, daughter, daughter, uh, came in like an hour after she went to sleep, and she said, "Oh, my stomach hurts. I think I ate too much candy." Ametophobia. That's what they. That's what my daughter has. Ametophobia. Anyway. Uh, we had a good Halloween, plus we got home in time to watch uh, the meat of the Dodgers game. Watched the whole thing, caught up on DVR, but it was, of course, on, uh, when you're in Southern California, it's on everywhere. Ramos, can you remember something like this taking over the city? I don't know why. I, I, I feel like, I feel like even, I mean, the numbers would support that locally more are watching than watch the Lakers. This feels... Bigger. This feels different than the Lakers title runs. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on when the Lakers won their last three with Kobe and uh, Pau Gasol. So, but you're right. It's just because maybe because the Dodgers haven't been there in such a long time. I think people just kind of are, are jumping on board uh, more than usual. And it's been a great series. So when you have those two to go together in L.A. and we're. LA is like a, a glam, right? Glam city, and we're all kind of like we jump on board no, the things that are but glam. We're front runners, but look, look, yeah. basically, like Houston's front running city too. <laughs> yeah. I, I've said like, like we could be critical of Dodger fans. Like I'm an Angel fan, and I'm totally into this for the Dodgers to win the thing. Now I'm just now I'm just rooting for a great game seven, right? I actually no, that's not true. I don't want the the Astros to win. I'm not sure if it's the Guriel thing. I don't know if it's the fact they play in a little bandbox and they're afraid to open up the dome, which can rightfully retract, or the fact they have was a super short porch to like artificially inflate their home run numbers. The fact that they were in the National League, now they're in the American League. I, I don't know. Um, but the the great thing about Dodger fans or Dodger bandwan- bandwagon mania is Remember, this is an Astros team that four years ago bottomed out. They tanked, and their local ratings, and local ratings for baseball are usually ridiculously high. Even even when you have a new, like the Dodgers are on a specific cable, Spectrum cable, to which everybody can't get. Because that's what they had in Houston. The numbers are ridiculously high for local baseball ring. That's one of the ways that in which baseball is so incredibly healthy. They got a 0.0, a blue Tarski in their local ratings because they were so bad and nobody cared. So don't give me this lifelong Astro fan, except when they sucked. They're on the bandwagon. Dodger fans and fa- fandom is up on the bandwagon. So this is one of the few teams to which you can legitimately say, not that big a deal. Don't feel bad about hopping on a Dodger bandwagon. Would you like better? Game five, 13-12, or game six, three to one? Music? Uh, I'm not going to lie. A lot of people like to say, like, I'm a baseball purist, game six. I like the offense. Give me game five any day of the week. The weird thing is, because I've watched so much baseball, there were a bunch of times to which I thought game five was over. But that game, whether it's the ball, I, I think, I also think it's it's never just one factor. I do think something's up with the ball. I think there's a reason they keep that dome closed. They know it affects the flight of a baseball. I think also the dimensions in Minute made, and some of the pitching and some of, of course, the, the approach in which hitters take, all of these things had the buy, ball flying out of the yard. I thought last night was more like baseball, and I liked it more. 
Uh, but I, game five was absolute craziness. Game, game five was probably more exciting. Last night was more interesting. Ramos, would you like five or well? You're a Dodger fan, so you like six. Uh, I don't know. I I like I liked a lot of runs. I like this ball, but it's funny. Last night, the one ball I thought was a home run was a flyout, and the two balls I thought were flyouts were home runs. Mm. So it was kind of again unpredictable. You just don't know. I think I've lost the uh, ability to figure out what a home run is anymore <laughs> uh, because balls are just they well, how go can out. You, how can you? Because I can you're usually, watching on TV, John. I, I usually can tell when I'm watching a game when somebody hits a home run. I can tell like that ball's gone. And one when, when Corey Seager hit that ball, I literally said, "That's gone," and it literally like died at the wall. I love my kids are watching, and they saw Corey Seager uh, after that sack fly, and he takes off his helmet. And my daughter, who's 11, she's like, "He looks like he's just out of middle school." <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, Dan Byer, do you like? Game five or game six? What's more your flavor? I thought game six because game five, you just wondered how many runs were going to be needed. You thought you were down three, and you're like, oh, they could come back from that. So I thought last night was was better. You, you want to know the best walk in the history of baseball, which was it wasn't was in the seventh inning last night. I mean, really remarkable what happened in the seventh inning. So look, if you're not paying attention, here's here's the basics of it. Okay. The Astros at the time were trailing two to one, top seven. Justin Verlander had thrown 93 pitches, 65 of which are strike. He had only given up three hits. He'd struck out nine, two earned runs. Um, Tony Watson is in the game. Tony Watson walks. Uh, who, what's, uh, let's say he can't hit it all in this series. Uh, Josh Reddick. He walks Josh Reddick, which ended up being the best thing that could possibly happen to the Dodgers. Because when he walked Josh Reddick, now you have a runner at first base. A.J. Hinch is like, you know what? I'll take Verlander out. He pinch hit for Verlander with Evan Gaddis. Gaddis grounds out uh, fielder's choice. Could have been a double play. It wasn't, but could have been a double play. And so, though... And all baseball guys are like, it's the right move, it's the right move, it's the right move. I'm sitting there screaming, tweeting to anybody who will listen, it's the wrong move. Two reasons. One, Verlander was fine. They weren't, they weren't raking Verlander, right? He hit Utley. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Utley hit one off the wall and then, yeah, did, did Seager nearly hit one out? Like, yeah, but he didn't. And I trust him more than I trust anybody, even Musgrove, coming out of the pen, who, of course, gave up a home run. But more than anything, you can, you're can you down one run. You could bunt Redick over and keep Verlander in the game and keep that, keep that in your back pocket. And by the way, you could rest your bullpen so that even if you lose, you don't go to your pen. Verlander's good for 110, 120 pitches. He's that good, and he's gone that long plenty of times in the past. And so, look, I mean, I was I proven right? I think so, because Musgrove gave up the solo home run to Jock Peterson, who's just an unbelievable story, right? He was so bad in August and September. He's been so good in this series. And maybe it didn't matter because the Astros didn't hit anyway. 
But if you kept Verlander out there, you protect your bullpen. You kept Verlander out there. Uh, I, I think I, I struggled to see where the Dodgers could score another run off him. And even if they do, you could go to your pen then. You just keep that option of resting your bullpen so that your bullpen gets two days off getting ready for Game 7 instead of going through Musgrove, going through Gregerson, and actually smartly, even for one batter, using Liriano last night because you didn't have a lefty coming out of the pen. You just had to get Liriano a taste to see what he's got. And what he's got is pretty good. Here's A.J. Hinch. I thought he was good, especially early. You know, he brings so much energy and so much aggressiveness to the game, and I thought he entered the game with that. I thought he was, you know, obviously cruising. He had the, uh, the you know, the one hiccup in the middle uh, of the game, but that was about it. They did a good job putting some at-bats together. They got some big hits. Obviously, the, the elevated fastball to Taylor in one of the biggest moments of the game. So, again, I thought he stepped up and put as much into that game as he could. And look, what I'm saying would be unconventional, but I again, we talked about this yesterday, the long play better than the short play. Which brings us to what tonight is about. I'm most interested in two Dodger pitchers. You Darvish is going to get the start. When we last saw him, um, he was not only bad against the Astros, Yuli Gurriel was making fun of him. Like, do you throw at Gurriel? I mean, I don't think you do, but... Baseball has a tendency to work itself out, doesn't it? Like, how fascinated are you to see him go against Gurriel? I know I am. And then we played you it yesterday that Dave Roberts got a call from Kershaw saying he could go. Kershaw saying he'd go 27 innings. Like, no, no, no. You're going to close out Game 7 of the World Series. And so while Clayton Kershaw's second start in this World Series didn't go well, Do we once again change the narrative, the discussion about Clayton Kershaw when dominant in game one, he got blown up in game two, gave up one big home run, but not that the second big home run was actually Maeda. And then if he closes out game seven, how then do we evaluate his clutchness, his toughness, his ability to pitch in big situations? Because he can't get any bigger than pitching against the best lineup in baseball. That's the Astros in the biggest and last baseball game of the year. That's tonight. Look, I think the Dodgers should be prohibitive favorites. I think all the pressure went to the Astros. They haven't hit in Dodger Stadium with the exception of game two. They haven't hit on the road, and they're facing a rested Hugh Darvish and probably a rested Alex Wood and then a Clayton Kershaw. That's better than anything Houston's going to throw out there now that Justin Verlander's not going to pitch. But I'm most interested to see what Darvish does against Gurriel and if Clayton Kershaw can be the uh, can get the save and and win the first World Series title since 1988 for the Dodgers. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Okay, so by now you probably know the story about the Cleveland Browns. Here's basically what uh, what we know. Two days ago, some of the Browns coaches were ticked off that they were staying late in the office, burning the midnight oil, trying to find a way to get the team's first win of the season when the front office had gone home. Sashi Brown was nowhere to be found. And, of course, there were tweets uh, to back that up, including one from Hugh Jackson's daughter, who basically affirmed what a Denver uh, media member had first said, which was 
they were there. Front office wasn't doing what it should in order to get the players to be competitive. Then that night, Jimmy Garoppolo was traded. Of course, the Browns had offered a second-round pick for Garoppolo on trade night, which I'm sure infuriated the Cleveland Browns coaching staff even even further. Not just because, hey, look, we got a second-round pick. They got a bunch of other picks. They got a ton of picks in this this uh, in the early rounds of the upcoming draft. So yesterday. They had apparently consummated a trade shortly before the trade deadline for A.J. McCarron, a second and a third, which is a ridiculous price. On the other hand, he was the guy that Hugh Jackson wanted. Hugh had been a part of the staff that drafted him. Hugh had played him. He knew Hugh's system. Obviously knows the division as well. And the Cincinnati Bengals, all those things fit. And it would appease the coaching staff. And if you have multiple third-round picks, who cares if you get a second and a third if you finally get your quarterback? Only one problem. They hadn't sent in notification from their side to the NFL. Now, today the news comes out that instead of simply celebrating, because that's what we were told, the Browns were so busy celebrating that they had gotten a new quarterback that they forgot to send in the email. The Browns sent them an email CCing the NFL with the deals of the trade. They had to do the they had to do the exact same thing. They sent the Browns, excuse me, they sent the Bengals, the Browns sent the Bengals an email with the details of the trade that were signed, but they forgot to CC the National Football League. The Bengals had done the same. The Browns had to sign it. They never signed it thinking they had already sent in their own email to the Bengals. And so they thought it was all done. It was not. They appealed to the NFL, and the NFL was like, nah, sorry, trade deadline passed, no trade. Browns look like some idiots, don't they? Paul DePodesto is a baseball guy running a football organization, doesn't know how to complete a deal. Here's the problem with that. The Browns have completed plenty of other trades. Same group have completed plenty of other trades, including a mid-season acquisition with the New England Patriots going back to last year. So they completed trades. Why did this one not go through? There is, of course, the thought that it was too big of an ask for A.J. McCarron. And at the end of the day, somebody in the front office sabotaged the deal because they knew it's a bad deal. We shouldn't do this. We can act like we're doing this and not really doing it. Do I think that's a possibility? Nothing would surprise me. It does seem like a a big ask for A.J. McCarron. On the other hand, they wanted A.J. McCarron. A second and a third is not that big a thing. The deal had already been consummated. It's bad for business to complete a trade and then go, psych, thought it was a bad deal, and so we didn't decide to pull it off. But the Browns look like idiots here, don't they? Can we all agree on that? Doesn't the NFL look like a-holes to anybody else? Like No one else was trying to trade for A.J. McCarron. Nobody else has given him a second or third round pick, right? But both teams had agreed to the deal. There are emails from both teams to one another agreeing to the deal before the 4 o'clock trade deadline. So this is not letter of the law. This is spirit of the law. Let me give you a life example for me. 
Uh, I have twin daughters. They're 11 years old. They're in sixth grade. One, struggling a little bit. Get some after-school help. Struggling a little bit with the executive functions. I had no idea what the executive functions were. My wife's like, you know, she's just really struggling with her executive functions. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ramos, you want to take a shot at what executive functions are? Uh, I know the executive branch, but I don't know the executive decisions. So, no, I, I have no idea. what the, I'm with you on that one. Okay, so I'm, I'm not the only one who sounded like an idiot when my wife was like, um, executive functions are a set of cognitive processes that uh, necessary for cognitive control of behavior. So it's just, it's attention control, it's cognitive inhibition, it's a working memory, it's cognitive flexibility. Uh, that's th- those are executive functions, and it's things like, you know, she's in middle school this year, so you get done with one class, you got to pack up all your stuff, you got to remember what's due and when it's due and where you turn it in and keep your locker clean and blah, blah, and then go to another class and do the exact same thing all over again. And she was late to class. She was late to turn assignments in. She felt like she was overwhelmed by the classwork. Plus, we moved cross country. She was embarrassed by the quality of work, so she wasn't turning it in. Basically, she's not a dope, right? Even though she has my genes in her, which could lead her to being a dope. Um, but she, there's some basic executive functions that weren't allowing her true intelligence to come out or to succeed in school. And so she's getting after school, after school therapy, a little after school help on homework, and she's doing much better. But during the first couple weeks of school, she was late to one class a couple of times. And so she got a Friday detention and she mishandled one of the school issued iPads. And I think she broke one of the keys, you know, they have the little keyboards that connect to it. And she told us she was so embarrassed that she broke it that she just kind of left it over on the floor where she thought nobody could see it. Of course, somebody found it. It had her name on it. So she got another detention. So my wife goes to the school and she's like, listen, I understand by letter of the law, she's supposed to get a, a Friday detention. But spirit of the law is, yeah, you want her to learn a lesson, but she's already struggling to fit in. She's struggling with the coursework. Like, can we come up with a more amicable solution? Like, instead, Friday, we'll send her to her tutor. Now, one Friday, she did that. One Friday, she had to do the, the, the detention. My wife not happy with the detention. The idea, though, is that, like, look, I, I understand you want to make a point if you're the NFL. Understand. Like, we get a trade deadline. It's not that hard. You guys had months and months and months to describe to get this play. Matter of fact, you had the entire week to decide on this trade for A.J. McCarron. You knew you wanted A.J. McCarron for a long time, and Garoppolo was off the board as of the night before. This deal should have been done a long time ago. And we say 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock is 4 o'clock. Letter of the law, the NFL is absolutely right. But the Browns are already the laughing stock of the league. Why make them look at even worse? They're already, the, the Browns are struggling with their executive functioning skills. Browns cannot get their crap together. We're all, we all agree there? All right, they can't decide on a coach. They, they go with a young quarterback. Wait, Deshaun Kaiser's not their quarterback. Then they go back to Deshaun Kaiser. Then Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser goes out and gets plowed the night before, two nights before the game. And so he looks immature. 
Then they're playing in a game overseas and they no-show. Like, the Browns are struggling for... And the Browns used to be a really good franchise. They are the fumble and a drive away from playing in in back-to-back Super Bowls. But right now, they're the laughing stock of the league. And all the NFL had to do was like, go like, hey, guys, come on, Cleveland, get your stuff together. But look, you want to make the trade, you want to make the trade. All right, fine. Here's the trade is done. Spirit of the law. You both had emails that were marked before 4 p.m. Eastern time. Close enough. Close enough. But instead, the NFL is like, ha, ha, Browns are dumb. Meanwhile, now everybody, including Deshaun Kaiser, knows they want to move on from Deshaun Kaiser. And, oh, yeah, by the way, if you're the San Francisco 49ers who only had to give up a second-round pick for your quarterback of the present and future Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to sit there with the number one or number two pick. If, if the Browns somehow win a game and you don't, you end up with the number one pick and you're just dangled out there going like, hey, we know you got all those extra picks. You want to move up, get your quarterback of your dreams? Got to pay to do so. I think the NFL makes themselves look like jerks. Needlessly so. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. And now... Earlier today, Albert Breer, in addition to me, I was on the herd. Albert Breer had this to say about the Browns and Peyton Manning. The two veteran quarterbacks that Hugh Jackson wanted the Browns to take a look at in February and March were A.J. McCarron and Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, they didn't make a run at Jimmy Garoppolo before the trade deadline. He goes to San Francisco, and then they botched a trade for A.J. McCarron. So this thing's already a little sideways between coaching and scouting, and that's why Jimmy Haslam, I think, even though his intention was to let these guys have a few years, Jimmy Haslam's going to have to look at his organization again and maybe look at the idea of bringing in a football czar. You know one guy who he's very close with who could fit that description, right, Colin? Who? Peyton Manning. Wow. Jimmy Haslam has a very, very close relationship with Peyton Manning. If coaching and scouting isn't aligned in the right way, the answer will be to go in and bring in a football czar. We know Peyton Manning has a desire to play that kind of role. I do know that's a very close confidant of Jimmy Haslam's. Jimmy Haslam's a huge University of Tennessee booster, and Peyton Manning would probably be the first guy on this list if he were looking to bring a guy in to head the organization and set the agenda. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Now, Peyton, of course, has been linked to ownership rumors in Tennessee. That's always been thought to being his dream setup where he could own and run that. But if that op- if that opportunity doesn't present itself, why not go take over Cleveland? Why not? And then you mix the analytics of what you're doing in the front office with coaching and slowly but surely he would bring in kind of his own guys and put his own spin on it. But that that has to be what Peyton Manning wants to do, right? Remember, he was going around to training camps this year during training camp, visiting everybody. He has, he has every year he's pursued about TV opportunities. He could be the lead guy on any network, even CBS. As much as they love Romo, it's only because Peyton's turned them down two or three times over per year. So that must mean he still wants a foothold in football. And this would be his way to do it. He don't want to coach. He want to be a general manager. He wants to be a football czar. He even likes the sound of football czar. All right. Also, uh, 
Uh, also, I, I think that that though the NFL looks bad, I mean, they do. They look bad in this deal. Um, at the end of it, it was still the Cleveland Browns that somehow butchered this ability to acquire A.J. McCarron. But because they butchered the chance to get A.J. McCarron, they told the world that they're in the quarterback market. They haven't been able to accurately evaluate the quarterback market, passing on Carson Wentz, passing on Deshaun Watson, passing several times over on Derek Carr as well. No matter who's running the place, they've made poor decisions at quarterback. Who would know it better than one of the great quarterbacks of anybody's lifetime in Peyton Manning? That's why it all makes sense. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. John Smoltz joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Look, I know you've accomplished a ton, but being a part of a game and you didn't pitch poorly, what do you remember about that game? It was everything I dreamed of as a kid. I tell people all the time, I think sometimes you you think everybody thinks this way as an athlete, and I, I disagree. I've been around enough that don't necessarily think about pitching 107th games as a kid like I did in Lansing, Michigan. And I remember going out there, I just come off a Game 7 shutout against the Pirates to get to a Game 7 World Series dream come true. That year, I didn't give up a single run in 16 and plus innings, but only won one game. So the ending wasn't what I dreamed of. But everything in the game, my body, my, my heartbeat, everything was right where it needed to be, even on the road. So those both coming on the road... I probably pitched at home in Lansing, Michigan, a lot more than I did on the road as a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm fascinated by by all these guys reaching out to Dave Roberts and telling him, "Skip, I can go." It got Brendan Morrow in trouble in Game Five, where he's like, "I'm I'm good," and he six pitches later he gave up four runs. Uh, give him a day off, and he was good. Kershaw told him he was good to go. Uh, I'm like, look, I understand the ego of a great professional athlete. I'm ready to go. I would always say yes. But does anybody ever say no in these situations? No, I just don't have it. Uh, You don't hear of them. uh, That's for sure. But I think, you know, you understand a game seven. My, I think that my general problem with baseball lately is there seems to be too many game sevens being managed. In other words, it's not game seven, it's game two or game one or game three. And it's just such the, propensity to get guys in in so many different situations and uncharacteristically at the time when it matters the most putting guys in uncomfortable situations and asking them to be successful so in a game seven you always know that's going to be the case everyone's going to come to the park let me see how i feel i can do it the worst decision i ever made i ever made was telling my manager i can pitch in game six i i got the save in game two i pitched seven eight innings in game four and in game six, I let the adrenaline and everything and the machoism of saying I would be ready, and I gave up four runs and almost, you know, cost us the series. So you have to temper that as a manager and trust the certain players you can trust. And then in a perfect world, try to manage the game as close to the best as you can. I know that's hard. I know their second guess in nature is off the charts. But the team that plays this game closer to the best in my opinion, will win. Okay, so let's start with the Dodgers. You Darvish is going out there, and um, if you had to look kind of scatter report or the general feel, like he's he has elite stuff in baseball in comparison to uh, what the, what the Astros are throwing out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Darvish has to do differently this time? 
Well, he's got to have better touch with his breaking ball. I don't know if it was the baseballs. I don't know. You know, he had tipping problems in the past where they were he was tipping pitches. I don't think that was the problem. I just think he ran into a lineup without his best stuff, and he's got great numbers against the Astros in theory on the year. So he just has to deal with the mindset that that game two or game three was a fluke, and I'm going to make the adjustments at my bullpen, and I'm going to make better secondary stuff. He's got the best breaking balls in America from a right-handed pitcher with a variety of ways to throw it. So uh, if he commands that, it's going to be a tough, tough go for the, for the Astros lineup because of what he can do spinning the baseball. I know it's a, a feel thing, and you got to go by your gut if you're Dave Roberts, but if it was John Smoltz in that dugout, uh, what would be the order of who you turn to and why? You know, I, I think when you think of what the Dodgers have, the biggest biggest guy that I want to utilize, literally the biggest guy, is Kenley Jansen. And when do I maximize that moment? Because that's the problem in a Game 7. You typically want to close it out with him, but he may not have that luxury. And in being able to assess the situation of score and moment, I think you got to have that guy available from the seventh inning on. And there's going to be a lot of starters used in this game. There's going to be a record amount of starters used in this game. And I'm not saying that they're all going to be able to do what they hope to do because it's a little uncharacteristic. But I think the lineup and the five right-handers in a row for the Astros are going to go a long way to determine whether Morrow and Jansen continue to have the success against them. That's what Roberts is going to be looking to do. What about Kershaw? Kershaw, I would imagine, has got to be the toughest decision for Roberts in this sense. He's got the weight of the world on him. He's the best pitcher in the world, and he's going to pitch in this game, you would think, but it may not be out of the possibility to close with him. And what I mean by that is just what I said about Jansen, having to use him earlier because the, the game calls for it. You might have to keep Kershaw in like he did in against the Nationals to close out a couple outs or an out. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. Uh, you've been both a starter and a reliever, a closer. Uh, but seeing as Kershaw is, in fact, a, a starter who has come out of the bullpen in the playoffs in the past, is it better to start an inning? Like, does it make a difference to come in, you know, over, like, you know, when he's come out of the game in the past, leadoff, walk, whatever, you bring him in, does it make a difference whether or not Kershaw starts an inning or not? I think it does. I, I would, I, that would be my rule as a manager. If I can help it, I would like to have my starters come out of the pen fresh. I'm using a reliever to get out of a, of a middle of an inning, and then I'm using my starter to start the inning. That is the best formula, I think, for success. So you don't really throw them doubly in an uncomfortable situation. You know, I mean, there's so many things in sports we do in a way that enhances success or 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 challenges uh, to not not be successful. And I think when you just say anybody can do it. I think you're doing a disservice to that to those people, and and I've tried to tell people all the time, whether it's the analytical world or or people who just don't understand what information comes out of a computer, you kind of try to put it on their level of understanding, uh, so that it, it it makes more sense because it just seems like it's too easy to do when when they plug it plug in the information and go, well, why can't this guy do this? There's a reason, and uh, it's like in the TV world. You do TV all the time, and you know how to do it, and then all of a sudden we say, all right, do TV. You can't use the teleprompter. 
it, it's different. It's harder, and and it makes you uncomfortable. And that's what athlete, that's what athletes go through as well. John Smoltz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show, lead analyst for Fox coverage tonight, Game Seven of the World Series, of course, at Dodger Stadium, just after five o'clock West Coast time, eight o'clock East Coast time. Why why do the, why are the Astros hitting so differently on the road? Like I understand the weather is different, the dome being closed, that short porch. But the ball is just jumping off their bats differently here. The amount of contact is different than it has been in Houston. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's happened multiple times to a couple teams. You know, look, there's so much going on in the game today where you have to worry about things you never used to worry about. I mean, you're given multiple signs with nobody on. They're worried about everybody getting stealing signs, given location. You're more comfortable at home, creatures of habit. But if it weren't for game two, obviously waking up and coming back in that historic game two here, we would be talking about what you're saying. And the Astros were shut down by the Yankees. They were shut down by the Dodgers. Look, the Dodgers have really been shut down at home too, except for the sixth innings. They've scored twice, all three home games in the sixth inning. And ultimately was their major scoring uh, until that crazy game two and extra innings. So, those are things tough to figure out. Um, you know, I, I just think there's there's a lot of young players, and really between these two teams, you got to remember only three participants in World Series before this series started. Um, what about to AJ Hinch out of the bullpen? I don't think his puzzle is as easy to complete. Uh, you know, Giles is no longer part of it. Like he he's not. We didn't even see him. Like I don't, did he even make the trip? Um, but and then some of his bullpen is taxed. What do you think he does if, in fact, he has to go get McCullers? I think it's all starters. I think he has a great chance to pitch this game with all starters. Uh, he's going to have Keiko. He's going to have Morton. Morton could follow uh, McCullers. Then you've got Keiko, uh, and you were going to have Verlander available. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be the interesting choice. You know, adrenaline as the game goes on will make you feel like you're more apt to close a game with like a Verlander per se. But uh, the only chance maybe where he goes to a reliever is, as we mentioned, maybe even Liriano would get one left-hander out so his starter can start an inning. Yeah, that, but that I would, think that, unlike that, that... any other series we've ever seen, this is going to be, I said before the game started, there could be six to seven starters pitching in this game. And who would ever think that would have been the case with two great teams going to game seven? I thought that was really smart that he got uh, Liriano in there late yeah, last night just to give him a look because he didn't have any other lefty coming out of the pen and he was, to win tonight, you may have to have him come and get a lefty out of the pen, correct? No doubt. This is the strangest World Series for me as a player. I understood certain guys will slump and struggle with the pressure at times. But to have this many of them between two teams really hit the skids at the wrong time has handcuffed the manager, has basically said, I can't go to this guy unless. And that has been so strange to see. And with an era where there's so much bullpenning talk and so much relievers being thrown in, this is the byproduct sometimes that runs into it. I, I've, I've often said, be careful what you wish for. The more guys you ask to come in a game, the yep. more chances that one of those guys are not going to be as good as advertised. Um, well, two World Series for you to call from Fox and two Game 7s. You are a good luck charm. By the way, World Series Game 6 had more than 23 million viewers across Fox, Fox Deportes, and streaming on Fox Sports Go, making it the second most watched Game 6 since 2009. Of course, it's the 20th overall year of Fox covering the World Series. You'll hear John Smoltz alongside Joe Buck 
and a cast of thousands out at Dodger Stadium. Great job so far. Best of luck on the call tonight. We look forward to you calling the last baseball game of this season. Thank you. And for me, it's come full circle. This is how long the year's been. I called the World Baseball Classic Championship here in L.A., and now it seems like two years later I'm getting a chance to be part of Game 7 back in L.A. Pretty uh, pretty unreal. Well, it's been it's been great to watch. You've been outstanding. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. It's John Smoltz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.